I really connected this to would my parents want me to buy this home? Would my parents want this for me? You know, would they think this is a waste? Is this how they'd want to take care of me? Would they want me to use it for something else? And it really got into my head. You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown-up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, financial grown-up friends. No amount of money can replace a loved one. But money does sometimes come after a loss. Inheritance. And spending that money can be really complicated. Should it matter what they would want you to do? Is there a period of time that you should wait? And what if it allows you to do things you never could have done had they not passed away? In other words, it is complicated. Welcome, everyone. If you are new, glad you are joining us. You picked a really good episode. We try to keep them short, around 15 minutes, even though we hear many listeners batch them together. It's about flexibility and doing what works for you. When you subscribe, make sure to go into settings, hit auto-download, Automate your podcast like you automate your bill paying so you never miss one. Let's get to our guest, modern loss author, Rebecca Sofer. She lost both of her parents at a relatively young age while she was a young adult working at the Stephen Colbert Show, and it led her down an unexpected path. Here is Rebecca Sofer. Hey, Rebecca Sofer, you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for calling me a grown-up. That feels really nice. You are very much a grown-up, <laughs> and we're going to talk about why and how you became a grown-up before you really wanted to, which is kind of all yeah. of our stories, I think. You're also the author of one of the most talked-about books of the summer. It's Modern Laws, Candid Conversations About Grief. Beginner's Welcome. I should say you're a co-author along with Gabrielle Berkner. This is a book that is being talked about by some very influential people, including Mindy Kaling. And I'm looking right at the front cover. It says, I am not sure how a book about grief could also be witty and entertaining, but Modern Loss accomplishes just that. And your old boss, because you are like me, a TV veteran or survivor, however we want to put it. (laughs) Refugee. Sticking with the theme here, (laughs) trying to have a sense of humor. So Stephen Colbert says, talking about loss can feel scary. These surprisingly funny and candid stories aren't about death. They're about life. I love that. Yeah, I love it too. (laughs) We're going to talk more about the book after your money story, but how did this come about? Because you're young. You're still young. Yeah, well, thank you, new best friend. (laughs) (laughs) I would think it's safe to say that I did not grow up daydreaming about eventually co-founding a a site and publication and (laughs) writing a book about loss and grief in the modern age. That, That didn't really enter into my consciousness as a career option. I had other plans, but as it goes, the universe had other plans for me. When I was 30 years old, I was working in daily TV, as you mentioned, the Colbert Report, and my mother was killed in a car accident. I'm so sorry. Thank you. It was terrible. It was the worst. I mean, I could talk about that for eons with you, but we don't have that much time. She was my best friend. She was my person. I had just seen her just an hour beforehand. So it was just not only was it awful and a profound, profound loss, but I was 30, you know, and that's like the new 21, right? And so I I really felt like a, a kid in many respects. And it was also sudden. So I had no time to prepare for it. 
And then beyond that, three years later, my dad died. He had a heart attack when he was traveling abroad. So sorry. And so there, <laughs> yeah, thanks. It was, again, like awful. It was terrible. It was isolating and wrenching and just like insanity driving. So by 34, I had no parents who were above ground. I did inherit some money because my parents did have some legal tender in their accounts. So by extension, some of that went to me and I had to figure out what to do with the portion that I could spend um, at, you know, when to spend it, what to spend it on, how much to spend it. And the one really huge thing that I did, I went in with my husband on a down payment on a house in the Berkshires in rural Massachusetts. And that sounds nice and fancy, but the fact of the matter is we lived in a one-bedroom rent-subsidized apartment in Manhattan and then eventually kept living there with our one kid and our Labradoodle. And so it was like nice and cramped. I never thought that we'd actually buy a place outside of the city in which we lived. But after my dad's death, that all changed. I used part of this money that I was left, which I would have given all of my limbs to not have. I would have much rather had my parents with me to purchase this home with my husband, which was our foundation, which we were starting to create together. Do you think that if you had had that money through some other means with your parents still alive, you would have been able to make such a grown-up decision. Absolutely, because for a couple of years beforehand, my husband had been saying, let's like, look at properties because interest rates are really low. I think this might be a good time to invest in something, keeping in mind that we were being very frugal with our rental in New York City, so we had kind of low overhead with regards to rent and living expenses there. I just thought we were playing around. I, it was fun looking at houses. I really, it felt like a very grown-up thing to do to purchase a home especially when you're in New York and you feel like you're kind of always a kid, no matter what, and, you know, only adults buy houses. And, but that's kind of like most people in this country go through that, but it still felt very foreign to me. But after my dad died and I put that home on the market, everything changed. And I all of a sudden became very aware in a way that I had become aware after my mom died of the, the fleeting nature of life that it can go at any minute and that this is your one life. Like I was living it now. This was no dress rehearsal. This was an opportunity to start something and to create a foundation where we could build memories with our kids, with our friends, which otherwise would not have been built in, say, their maternal grandparents' home. What's interesting is that the inheritance that allowed you to buy a house it was the money, of course, but it was also the idea that this is your life and you do have to grow up and you do have to be financially grown up. And that was, in a way, part of what happened after they passed away. Yeah, I don't think it really had entered into my mind that I would have purchased something. And also, everything is really expensive in New York. It's, that was not in the realm of possibility in my mind. And very quickly, the need to have a sense of home became very, very, very integral to my life. So what is the lesson for our listeners? How can they make this their own? When you lose your parents and this money is from your parents, wow, I mean, it was just so complicated. You know, you really, I really connected this to, would my parents want me to buy this home? Would my parents want this for me? You know, would they think this is a waste? Is this how they'd want to take care of me? Would they want me to use it for something else? And it really got into my head. 
I also was really scared to take any huge financial action shortly after a profound loss. I didn't want it to result from strong emotions because people always say, don't make any big moves within the first year of a deep loss. Well, we bought the house three or four months after my dad's death. And, you know, a lot of people would say, wow, that seems rash, but my mom had already died. And so I was no stranger to this experience. So you could really argue that I was about three years into it already. I needed a foundation. And so I learned that even though you're making a purchase that is going to be the right thing for you. It doesn't mean that it's not a complicated emotional experience. It is very, very hard to spend money that is inherited. Very, very hard. And especially for younger people, because, you know, it's not like when I was 30, you just called me a financial grown up. That's like amazing. Can you please put that on my tombstone? Because that's <laughs> not a term that's really been used in connection with me a lot. I didn't feel like a financial anything. And I really didn't feel like a grown up. You have an everyday money tip that is something many people do, but I think it's important to point out on a practical level because. It's something we all sort of think we should do. I personally have never been great at executing it. So I want you to share it with us. And I want you to tell us, most importantly, how you actually execute. Yeah. So now I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old, both little boys, and they are hungry. Like they are hungry. They're constantly hungry. And I constantly find myself, you know, as soon as we leave the house, even though we have just eaten, my four-year-old will 10 seconds later say, I'm hungry. And I'm like, how is it humanly possible for you to have more space in your stomach right now? But he does. And so I constantly find myself, you know, or have found myself buying into, you know, purchasing the snacks from the museum that we're at or whichever entertainment-based facility. Which are very expensive. Which are expensive. They're like a billion times yes. more expensive than they should be. Or the bottle of water. I spend some time a couple nights a week. It takes me 10 minutes. It's really not a big deal putting together snacks, like putting them in little Ziploc bags, like separating them. And I kind of stockpile them. I have them ready every day. I take the new slew of snacks and I bring them with me. I put them in my older son's little backpack. And so wherever we are, whenever the inevitable I'm hungry, <laughs> like pops up, I'm like, great, go into your backpack. And what's really great about that is not only are there a billion different things to choose from, but there's no arguments about, oh, I want this. No, you can't have that, you know, A, because it's like $20 and B, because it's made of crap. He knows that anything in that bag is fair game. So let's talk a little bit about modern loss. There's one part that really stood out to me that I hadn't really thought that much about. And that has to do with our digital legacy. It's a collection of essays from different authors. Mm -hmm. And then you and your co-author, Gabby, mm -hmm. introduced them. Was there a conscious decision to include these digital stories? Or did that just happen? And what is your take on them? Yeah, it was a very conscious decision to have a dedicated chapter to the ways that grief can, and loss can throw a wrench into our digital lives because it's very much a part of everything we do right now. And it wasn't as much so 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. My mom died in 2006 and she did not have a Facebook presence. Does that make and, you sad? I wish, I wish yes, my mom totally had like a real Facebook sad. page. Yes, it does <gasps> make me sad. And you know, I always say if a person isn't a searchable term, did they really exist? Before I let you go, People are dying to know, how did you get Mindy Kaling involved with a book? And then also, I mean, Stephen Colbert, I know that you worked there, but I, can you tell us a little bit about their involvement and connection? 
with regards to Stephen, yes, he's my former boss, and I think he's a, an amazing human being and very, you know, I think the general public, anyone who knows a lot about him knows that he suffered profound loss when he was very young. Um, he lost very close relatives very quickly, and he, he gets it. He's one of those people who gets it. So when I was starting to co- co-author this book, I reached out to him and told him all about it, and he offered to write a blurb. I mean, just immediately offered to support it and knew that there was a need for it. With Mindy Kaling, it was through a mutual a mutual friend, actually. She had lost her mom. I had read it in her own book and in a lot of news articles that she had lost her mom around the time, I think, that she got her TV deal for the Mindy Project. She really must understand what it's like to go through loss while you're revving up your career. And so I just thought, well, who doesn't love Mindy Kaling? I mean, everything she does is so great and her tone is so approachable. And so I approached our mutual friend and asked if she would send along my request and a few chapters of the book. And she agreed to support it. What's unique about this book is it's a book that you'll read once, put down and then keep coming back to. And I think that's a very special thing. Where can people find out more about you and the book and everything else that is important to you right now? I run modernloss.com. It's an online publication that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of personal essays that are narrowly focused around different aspects of grief and loss. We're at Modern Loss on Twitter, on Instagram. We have a very active Facebook page. And what I really love is we have a closed group, which has become this incredible source of support. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been wonderful. Oh, thank you. So Rebecca mentions with her usual humor that she's really sad her mom was never on Facebook. But these days, social media does live on and can be a gift. Financial grown-up tip number one, keep your social media secure, but make sure if something does happen to you, loved ones can have access to whatever you want them to. And talk to relatives, especially older ones, about making plans for what they want done with their digital assets. A lot of grandparents, by the way, are on Facebook. It can be as simple as finding the right settings on a certain platform. It may also be something to include in your estate planning and your will. Financial grown-up tip number two, Rebecca's money tip really hit home with me as a parent, but it can also apply to all of us in our everyday lives. It's not just kids that get the munchies and get stuck buying pricey snacks. Pick a go-to food. In my case, it is often pistachios, sometimes power bars, and keep it somewhere that is always with you for a quick pick-me-up. Totally obvious, but often not done. So maybe this is a reminder if you kind of already knew that. For me, it keeps me away from M&Ms sometimes. DM me your take on this and what your danger food is if you don't have those go-to snacks with you. Thanks for sharing this time with us. The podcast is free, but in order to grow, we need your support. Reviews are amazing. Also, follow us on the social channels at Bobby Rebel on Twitter, at Bobby Rebel one on Instagram, and Bobby Rebel on Facebook. The show notes for this episode are at bobbyrebell.com forward slash podcast forward slash Rebecca Sofer, along with more info on the podcast at bobbyrebell.com. And thanks to Rebecca Sofer for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.